Thank you. Um, so for the last number of months, we've been talking about the Eightfold Path, and that's been interrupted appropriately at times when other, uh, other parts of our life have come into the foreground, and so that's gotten spoken about. And, um, uh, and also, I've been I come and uh, gone at times, like when I've been away teaching retreats, so I haven't been here every Sunday night. And so we talked about the Eightfold Path and gave some kind of overview of the path. And the eight limbs of the path are right, right um, understanding, right intention, um, right action, right speech, right livelihood, and then the uh, and then right um, effort, right. Uh, mindfulness, right concentration or samadhi, <clears throat> and um, and we've talked for either a week or two or a few weeks about uh, right understanding and right intention, also sometimes called right aspiration, uh, and we spent uh, a number of weeks on right action, right speech, right livelihood, and. Um, uh, tonight, I'd like to go into the third group. In the first group, right, right, right view, meaning right understanding, right view are the same thing. Right understanding, right intention are part of the wisdom, are considered a wisdom basket of the Eightfold Path. And then the second um, uh, basket is sila or, or uh, virtue. Um, which is, has to do with action, speech, livelihood. So how we start to embody our understanding and our aspiration comes in the second phase of the path, or second basket of the path. And then the third basket of the path is the samadhi basket, which is right um, effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. And that has to do with refining our understanding and intelligence through dharma practice and meditation practice. And so I thought I would start tonight by talking about right effort. And I always like to uh, explain what the word right means for, the, for each part of the path because um, sometimes these days people use the term wise effort or wise understanding or wise aspiration. Or and that's, that's fine, but it's a little too California for me. So I don't like, it's, it's good, it's good. It's just, I like, I grew up on right. And, but the understanding of right is not just, it's not exactly right or wrong. It's about what the word right means, which and you can find this in the dictionary. Right means that which brings us in alignment with the truth. That which brings us in alignment with the truth. And I think that's a really great understanding of what it means for right um, view or right intention. What's the intention that brings us in alignment with the truth? Or what's the action or speech that brings us in alignment with the truth? And I realize I've forgotten one thing, so I'm going to pause now, and we're going to, uh, because I'm trying to come into right action that brings me in alignment with the truth.
and Barbara is going to lead us in a, a refuges chant, which we've been wanting to do, and I keep forgetting to introduce it before the talk, so please, thank you. Turn on the, it's already on. Colin Namo Tassa. Namo These are the three refuges. Bhagavato Arahato. talking about right effort or wise effort or effort that brings us into alignment with the truth, that was a really good example for me of how to work with reality when reality doesn't go the way uh, we expect it to go. Meaning, if I would have been a little more in alignment, I would have introduced that before I started talking and we would have done the refuges together. And so then, and so we all have those kind of questions of, oh, what do we do when things don't go the way we want them to go, or hope they're going to go, expect them to go, which for many people have said uh, they have some feeling like that after the election, like it didn't go the way they expected to go, and so that becomes part of, oh, how do we practice with life the way it is? and work with it. And I'll say a little more, I want to say a, a little bit more about um, um, what it is to contemplate because this last basket, right, there's the, the wisdom basket of right understanding and right intention. There's the virtue basket of, of uh, action, speech, 
and uh, livelihood. And then there's a contemplative basket of effort and, um, and mindfulness and concentration. And so what part of what we're contemplating is ourselves and our world and learning how to get closer to this experience, to the human experience, and see what is it, or, or what are we, or what's actually here, in addition to what we already know. What more might we discover about what's sitting here? <clears throat> and partly we want to see what's here because Buddhism often asks quite skillfully, not only what is happening, but what are the causes and conditions that make things happen? Because that helps us figure out how to live our lives in a skillful way and in a way that makes sense, or in a way that brings us in alignment with the truth of what's needed and what's appropriate and what's, and, and, and what leads to deeper understanding of what it is to be a human being. And so um, part of what we do when we contemplate is we start to learn oh, what is, what causes what, what makes things happen. And then what, how can we respond to the pluses and minuses of being alive? How can we respond to the goodness of being alive? And how can we respond to the difficulty of being alive? Because they're both part of being alive. And so, and so the contemplative basket says, what kind of effort is needed? What kind of energy is needed to engage in our life? Or to engage in any aspect of our life? and especially what kind of effort, energy is needed to meditate. And that's why I brought that into the beginning of the meditation, where I brought in a little bit of the Eightfold Path. I said, okay, what's your intention here in the meditation? And then what's needed to make that come alive or to come to fruition or, or, to, or to deepen and flower because the potential for us as human beings is that we, we I, this is a Eugene way of saying it, we don't know yet what the potential is. And the potential may be greater than we understand at this point. And so um, we want to make a, a certain kind of effort. We want to be aware of what's happening. And the same word for mindfulness can easily be translated sati, can be translated as awareness. And then we want to get closer to that experience. Concentration, samadhi is about a unification of, uh, of consciousness with what it's experiencing. A unification of consciousness with what it's experiencing. And so a very simple kind of concentration practice that's used in many, many traditions, but especially in Buddhism, is um, you know being mindful of your breath and being aware of the in-breath, being aware of the out-breath, being aware of all the sensations that happen in one in-breath and one out-breath. 
until you're not even thinking about it at all, but you become one with the breath, one with the body breathing. And that kind of unification has both um, uh, its own pleasure and its own power that comes with samadhi. And I'll talk more about that in a couple weeks when I talk about um, uh, samadhi. But it's really becoming intimate with our experience and then the power of what can happen when we become intimate with any experience. And that's the paradox. We think we have to get rid of every experience, maybe, or some experiences. But actually, when we start to come into into uh, harmony with the experience, we can also go beyond the experience while we're staying with the experience. And so I, I always love the quote, which I haven't used for a while. I used to use it all the time um, from uh, Dogen, who says, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things. To forget the self is to become intimate with all things. And I'll just give you a very quick Eugene interpretation of that, right? To study the Buddha way is to study what's right here, what's sitting in our seat, to be aware of this experience, body, heart, and mind. And then to be aware of it is also to let go of it. To study the self is to forget the self, is to let go of the reification or the identification with the experience. It's to know it fully, intimately, closely, and to also relax as we know it. And with that kind of relaxing or forgetting the self, as he describes it, we start to be intimate or open with everything, with, with reality as it appears internally and externally, with all of reality. And that intimacy, and then he goes on, it's actually very beautiful, but I won't go further with the quote, except that he says, we go way beyond what we know is possible. And so, right effort, or effort that brings us in alignment with truth, asks for us to be aware, and to be here, and then to see what's real and what's needed. And, if, and first of all, just thinking about it in terms of the meditation, like in, in the formal contemplative practice of meditation, it's like, oh, what's needed? And, and first of all, getting yourself here, that's part of right effort. Like you came here to meditate tonight. You came here to practice the Dharma. That's right effort. And so it's very normal in that way. It's, you didn't think a lot, okay, I'm going to do right effort and it'll take whatever. You know, what it takes is getting in the car or walking or getting on a bus and coming here. And then sitting down and, you know, whatever happens in the meditation, then what's needed or what's skillful. And personally, I think the most important thing is to give ourselves 
to the meditative process and see what happens and be curious, be interested in what's here and what's happening. And sometimes we get lost in thoughts or we start remembering stuff or we get whatever, whatever it is, but we can then start to be aware of that instead of, oh, we're doing it wrong. It's not just right or wrong. The effort is to be aware and then to be aware that we're aware. And that gets very interesting. And so there's a lot I could say about that, but I'm a little bit going to lean into the right effort as the right effort that we do in the meditation then becomes the ground for right effort in our lives, in how we live our life. Because it's the same dynamic from, from this little world of sitting right here with Eugene. It's still, what does it take to be skillful when I'm dealing with my family or my friends or my work or my, uh, or my community or politics or the rest of life? What kind of effort is skillful? What kind of effort brings one into alignment with the truth? And so I'm going to speak a little bit about life because life has, keeps happening you know, at least for a while, as you all know. And um, I just found out today, because I don't always read the paper, that um, Fidel Castro died, right? The president of Cuba, and, and there was a yesterday's paper, and I saw it, and it's like, oh. actually, I saw it on the web today on The New Yorker, and, I'm, and I came in and said to my wife, wow, Castro died. And she said, oh, yeah, I, I read it. She said, oh, yeah, I read about it yesterday. I'm like, I didn't even know it happened, but it happened. And partly it touched me because I'm, I'm old enough. I remember the Cuban Revolution. I remember what a big deal it was and what a radical thing he did because he, he made a revolution against a horrible dictator uh, at the time, Batista. And, he, and then he stood against the most powerful nation in the world, the United States, to live his vision of what was skillful. And so he had a lot of effort that he lived in order to create a different world in Cuba for the people he understood and saw as being oppressed and um, suffering because of politics. And I remember a little bit about all of that, partly because I'm old enough and um, it was a big deal in America. I remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? And we thought we might go to war and at that time because there were Russian missiles in Cuba. And, and so one learned a lot about Cuba. And, um, and also I learned about Cuba because when I moved to New York from Detroit, and uh, I had a job for a little while, and then I got into a radical political street theater. And I've talked about that once or twice here. And it was really, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was an 18-year-old kid, and it was great. It, it was cool. And uh, it was, you know, I, I saw this street theater in Central Park, and I just thought they were fantastic. And they were doing all these 
kind of leftist political, anti-war, anti-Vietnam War, you know, uh, plays and uh, ecology plays even back then, and um, and so I offered to help them in any way I couldn't. I was I was a carpenter, cabinet maker in New York, and uh, and and to be honest, the girls liked me, so they said, "Oh yeah, come by, and we'll give you some work." And, and I ended up having a relationship with one of the women in the street theater, who was my first real love. And, and we ended up living together for four years, something like that. We actually moved out here together. And she was older than me, right? So I'm 18 years old, she's 28. And, and I thought she was ancient, to be honest. I mean, I was like, that was like a big gap. I was used to like, 17-year-old girls or 18-year-old girls, and she was like, and she'd been to college and graduate school. I, I was a high school dropout. I didn't was like, and, uh, and but she was very cool and very creative, and uh, what was and how this ties into Fidel is she knew Fidel, meaning she really knew Fidel. She she'd gone as after the Cuban Revolution. She was part of the first student group to go to Castro, af to go to Cuba after the revolution. And she ended up meeting Fidel and Che and having dinner with them and telling me stories about them and how much she loved them and they were great. And although if I'm I'll really be honest with you, she liked Che better than Fidel. <laughs> she said Che was the sexiest man she ever met. So, and I, you know, okay, I believed her, you know, until, until she met me, of course. But, but, um, but and, so, and so I always felt some kind of connection to, to Cuba, partly through her, because she really had been there, and she talked about how great it was in her, her understanding, and especially, and how, how human they were, how human Che and Fidel were to have, to hang out with these kids from America, right? Because they weren't politicians. They were people who created a revolution and did something quite radical at that time. And so they, so I was, thinking about, I was reading this article, I haven't even read all of it, it's a lot here, but in terms of the effort, it talks about how the CIA tried to kill Castro after the revolution, because America was not happy with this revolution. And so it says here, right, the CIA tried or sponsored many outlandish assassination attempts on Castro, which included poisoning his cigars, offering Chicago crime boss Sam Giancana $150,000 to find a hitman and create a booby-trapped seashell that was designed to explode when removed from the ocean floor by Mr. Castro, Castro an avid diver. And, he, and Castro later said, he said this later, he said, if surviving assassination attempts were an Olympic event, I would win a gold medal. <laughs> really, and then they tell more stories. Castro said he survived more than 600 attempts against his life. No, 
know, may, he might have exaggerated, you know, two or three, but still. But it, but it takes a certain kind of elf effort and a certain kind of intention and a certain kind of willfulness to deal with life. And that's all he was doing was dealing with his life, which he was attempting to make better for himself and his people. And so part of our struggle to make practice come alive is how are we dealing with our life? How do we deal with our life skillfully, wisely, with awareness, with some sense of being fully here in order to respond to life with our intelligence and our heartfulness and our creativity? And partly I was thinking about this also because I had a, a long talk with my daughter today who was away working, uh, and she lives on the East Coast, but she was also not even home. She was away working and, um, and had a day off, and she, we'd spent a few days trying to connect because she's busy with her life and her work. And, uh, and she was very upset about the election that happened. She was really upset. And, uh, and we've had some talks about it, but not long. And it, and it was interesting to talk to her today because she was really upset right after the election and did a number of, of radical things for, for her, given her work, because she's an actor and works in the entertainment industry, right, which is TV and movies and theater. And, um, and she had put out a big thing about how upset she was about the, the election and how she felt like she and her, her, um, her uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Her, pardon? Contemporaries? His, her, thank you, her contemporaries really um, didn't, weren't honest and they helped the election happen the way it happened. That they weren't direct about their feelings enough about what might be skillful or unskillful in terms of election. And so she, and, and that's a big thing for her to do because it means if there are people who politically don't agree with her, then they're not gonna hire her if she puts out something like that. So it was a big thing for her and, and then and it was interesting to talk to her now because she's calmed down, but she's also still really angry. She's angry about what happened. And I mean, just, and she was, when she put out her whole thing, she put it out a lot about what's going on in terms of um, racism in America and Black Lives Matter and what's going on in terms of the anti-Muslim sentiment that has been put out in the election, but, uh, and also very upset about the treatment of women. And, uh, and, and she's upset about how Hollywood um, in a certain way is in alignment with that treatment of women about how they present women on screen. And so she, she you know, she did something and I'm, I'm proud of her for being herself you know, because whether I agree with her or not is not even the question. The question is how, and that's true for all of us, how do we really live a real life? 
and be real together because we all need to be able to be real together. And so it was, what was interesting was after the conversation we were having was about, she said, I'm still angry. I'm really pissed. I'm da 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 da. And I'm like, oh, good. You don't have to not be angry. How do you bring your intelligence into your anger? How do you bring your creativity into your anger? How do you bring your heartfulness into your anger? Doesn't mean get rid of the anger. It means the anger becomes even bigger or fuller or more mature so that you can respond skillfully, creatively, and hopefully make change in the way that you hope is for the best for everybody. And so we had a nice talk about how to have, because she, you know, my daughter grew up in San Francisco and, uh, and uh, she's, you know, she's been around uh, in good ways and also she grew up around Buddhism a lot because her dad has something to do with Buddhism. And, uh, but she's not, it's not her thing, and, she, and I was never trying, oh, you should be a Buddhist or meditate or anything. I'm like, I was always, oh, do what, what moves you and what you care about. And as far as I'm concerned, that's good. And so she did that, and she, you know, she respects Buddhism and likes Buddhism, but she's, and she likes being compassionate, but she says, how the hell can I be compassionate when I'm so angry? And so we had a nice talk about what fierce compassion is like and the potential for having a compassion that sees the big picture and still brings that kind of warrior energy at times that's needed as part of right effort. Because part of what right effort and that part of the Eightfold Path brings is that something has to happen. Something has to happen. It's not just a passive practice Buddhism. <clears throat> and so when we meditate, we're seeing what kind of effort or energy is needed. To, to meditate, to see the truth, to see what's here. And in, in everyday life, we want to see, oh, what's true, what's honest, and what's needed, and how do we deal with the difficulties or the obstacles to both meditative practice, but to living a life that's free for ourselves and for everybody together because you can't have one without the other, actually. And that's a really important thing, I believe, in Buddhism. And there's, uh, I'm gonna add one more personal story, because somebody called me up who is a young person who's kind of part of my family. He's not blood family, but he's part of my family. And he's a young man, I mean, he's not that young, he's, he's, he's a total adult, but I'm old enough to call everybody young now. Um, um, and, um, and he's also, he's, he's actually a writer and a producer and um, does a lot of good things, good work. And, uh, 
and and he's been waking up with um, um, fear of death in the middle of the night, and he's wanted to talk to me because he knew that I just taught a mindfulness of death retreat at Spirit Rock for a week, and so it was interesting to talk to him, and he's and he's afraid not just of death but of the anxiety it's bringing. And I'm saying, oh, that might not be a bad thing, you know. So I, I had an interesting talk about, oh, what's right effort when you're dealing with something, at least at this stage for him, is an existential question, which is that, oh, he's going to die. And he's upset about it. He doesn't want to die, right? He's kind of a normal person that way. And so, and so I, what is it to practice with that? And he has some practice, he's done some retreats, and, and, um, and so it was really interesting to talk to him. And, um, and, he's, and he later said to me, he said, oh, the best thing you said was, oh, it's okay for, you to be, for me to be anxious about it, instead of thinking I'm supposed to be mindful or calm or relaxed or balanced. No, he gets, you get to be, you, part of right effort is being right where we are and relaxing with that. What I mean is relaxing doesn't mean we don't change it or fix it. We start to accept it in a way where there's something more here that can relax even with being anxious. It doesn't mean the anxiety doesn't go away. It's just like relaxing with the anger that my daughter was talking about. It doesn't mean the anger goes away. It means, no, the anger is here. It's, only, it's not the totality of who we are. It's part of what's here. And, and that's why the meditation practice is so helpful because it begins to point us at something have you noticed how whatever happened in the meditation today is gone, right? Whatever was the most striking thing in the meditation is, is not in the foreground right now, for the most part. Maybe for one person it might be, but, and, and, but to be aware of it starts to reveal the space in which things are happening including anxiety, including anger, including fear, including happiness, including feeling great. Whatever it might be is all just happening and there's something even bigger here that knows that all. And excuse me, bigger is not a great way to say it, it's, it's a figurative way to say it. But so I'll use it, yeah, there's something bigger that knows what's happening. And what's bigger is, and, and the awareness is not bound to what it's aware of, right? It's just things are happening and they're known. And it happens quite spontaneously, effortlessly. And so that becomes part of what allows us for to have the skillful effort to use our will at times to either not do anything or to do something. And they're both, each can be skillful at times. And actually, as I have a section here for, and this is an old talk that I mostly have given on retreat when people are deep in meditation. And so this is a 
a little bit of a deep meditation part, but because there's effort and there's effortlessness that's part of right effort. And that's a really skillful piece of practice because it can be very skillful to be willful in the normal way that we can be willful. Like, okay, I'm gonna stay with the breath for the whole time that I'm sitting tonight, right? And really do that and make that happen and use our will, use our, our muscle in that way. And then there's also another way to practice, which is, oh, I'm not gonna do anything and I'm gonna be aware of whatever's here without doing something. And so there's a kind of effortless effort that can happen that's also very skillful. And they're, they're both skillful at different times. And so there's this famous, famous story about Ananda, who's the Buddha's attendant, and, um, and part of the Sangha with the Buddha for the last 20 or so years of the Buddha's life. And then the Buddha dies, and, um, and then there's a council, a council, council, council that happens of all the, that's going to happen after the Buddha died, of all the arahats, all the awakened sangha, right? And you have to be awakened to go to this council. And, um, and Ananda's not awakened yet. You know, he's, had, he's been having a good time with the Buddha and everything, but he's not enlightened. And so he starts cramming his meditation, right? He's doing a lot of meditation really quickly, hoping, okay, it'll happen, it'll happen. I'll do it, it'll happen, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, it'll happen, you know. And then, and then it said, at least in the text I read, it said, on the morning of the council, council at 3.45, he finally gave up. He just, he gave up. He's like, okay, this is not going to happen. I'm, I'm not going to be an arahat, uh, which is a awakened one. And so, and so he decided, okay, I'm just going to go to sleep. And, and, just, and then he starts to go to sleep, tipping over to sleep. And just before his head, head hit the pillow, he was liberated, right? And, and I read this story partly because it's a great story but partly because I know people who this has happened for, who, who their formal awakening actually happened when they finally gave up. They've been sitting 16, 18, 20 hours a day for a number of days, and then one day they're like, okay, I've had it, I just have to go to sleep. And in going to sleep, liberation happened. And it's a certain kind of formal liberation, of a cessation of a cessation is the word that's described, that describes the first stage of enlightenment. And uh, yeah, actually I have one good friend who that happened for him, you know, and, and he's somebody who's great at making willful effort. And so I love that it happened for him when he also, like Ananda, Ananda gave up. Uh, let's see. I'll just read you one, one poem that I like very much about effort, and then we'll, we'll see what you have to say. This is from Dogen. He says, realization, realization, neither general nor specific, is effort. Realization, neither general nor specific, is effort without desire. 
realization, neither general nor specific, is effort without desire. Clear water, all the way to the bottom, a fish swims like a fish. Vast sky, transparent throughout, a bird flies like a bird. So, those are some thoughts about right effort. What do you, what do you think? Any comments, questions? Agreements, disagreements, wonderings, appreciating, not appreciating. Please and turn the mic around, Patricia. Hi, my name is Patricia. Um, so I think what you are describing about right effort and then you can try, try, try and then you give up and I've experienced that um, uh, as an artist where you, you're trying to learn how to paint something or draw something and you keep trying and trying and trying and it's a struggle and then when you think you're just not going to do it all of a sudden it just it just happens so easily and you don't even have to try it just it's, it just arises uh -huh. um, that's a beautiful example yes that's a beautiful example i have one here somewhere about that but go ahead keep going please my question is um how do you know if you've reached the enlightenment thing because um i think i've had it but i don't i mean i think i've been on long retreats i feel like something has happened suddenly that i didn't expect but but that might just be my fooling myself. It might be your what? Fooling myself. Might be, but um, I, I think there's, here's what's important, I believe. There are different ways enlightenment is uh, understood. So there are different kinds of, and I don't like the word enlightenment so much. Let's just go with realization. There's different ways that realization is experienced. One of the ways that's very um, traditional in the Theravada is cessation. And that's a certain kind of cessation of consciousness. And, and in that cessation of consciousness, it's not known while it's happening. It's only known in retrospect. And then there are other kinds of, of realization that people have very, uh, that are more, that are totally valid and important and that aren't necessarily the cessation of consciousness, but the fully, the, you know, the Buddha said it's the letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion. And when, the, and when that, those aren't in play, there's what, um, I can't remember its name, might be, might be Buddha Dasa. Um, he said, oh, there's everyday nibbana, everyday nirvana, he called it. And we couldn't live without that. That when, when greed, hatred, and delusion are just gone and we feel free. And, then, and that can be more, um, that can be for a moment or a while or that can also really land here. 
so that there's a kind where those forces are not in play. Okay, is that helpful? Cessation of consciousness. I'm not sure that I understand. I yeah, yeah, it's not it's not easy to understand. It's not easy to know mentally. Right, it's an experience that can happen and gets a lot of value from some people and not so much from others. Like in Zen, they don't make any big deal about that at all. They're like, you know, that's what I love about Suzuki Roshi. Somebody came into Suzuki Roshi once and started telling him his enlightenment experience and, uh, and all these great things happened and it was like this and it was great. And, she said, oh, okay, okay, it sounds good. How's your work now? Because Suzuki Roshi was so in the moment was what was important. Or even here, this is more true. So somebody who had like serious, serious monastic practice in the Theravadan tradition, and he, he had a teacher, and then he went with all these other teachers, did very deep meditation practice, long retreats. And he came back and, and told his first teacher, you know, all these things and what happened. And his teacher said, okay, sounds good. Well, you know, where, where, where's all your enlightenment now? <laughs> where's all those things now? Instead of, instead of um, um, uh, what's the word I want, ingrandizing or or idealizing something. Okay, let's be aware of what happened and maybe it has its huge impact and what's happening now because this is the only actual moment there is. Okay, thank yeah, you. Sure, yeah. And one of the things I always appreciated about Hamid Ali and the Diamond Approach is his recognition of many different uh, kinds of realization and, and his appreciation of them. And, and I know Hamid quite well. He, ha he has had a classic Theravadan cessation. He knows what that is, but that's not the end of the story at all in his understanding. So I've always appreciated that about him. Please. Yeah, you can pick it up, bend it. Don't be shy. Okay. Yeah, hi. Uh, and I'm, always good to say your name here. I'm Clint. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back to you. Probably talk when you're talking to your daughter. <laughs> talking to your daughter about the yeah. election and her anger. Yeah. Um, uh, well, like a lot of other people, I'm, I'm struggling with a lot of very painful emotions about this anger. Uh, Depression, uh, a sense of hopelessness. Yeah, and um, it's been it's been very painful, and I don't know how to deal with these emotions in, in a right different sort of way. Uh, I wonder if you could talk some more about that. Sure. Well, part of what's important, I believe, and now you're getting my view here, is to watch one's mind, because. Who knows what's really going to happen, but our minds can tell us a lot about what's going to happen. And, then, and, and, and our minds may be right, but we, we don't know really if it's right yet or not. 
And so, and all, and all, really all I'm saying is, let's keep backing off what we might be adding on to what's happening and really keep looking at what is happening day by day because that we want to respond to as skillfully as possible. And so we want as much of us here and balanced as possible so we can respond, even if we have to respond um, fiercely, because I think fierce is a really fine response sometimes to reality. But, but if we're not, if we don't keep our, find ways to keep some balance here, we won't be able to respond with our intelligence, our kindness, our heartfulness, our wisdom, and um, what's needed. And so, so then part of one's practice, in my view, is to look what helps bring you balance even in a difficult time if you're having a hard time with the election results and with who's getting appointed and things like that. Because that's, that too. yeah, no, yeah. stuff like that is really affecting people. Okay. And, and, but we still don't know what'll happen. Because, you know, we just don't know. We have, can have a lot of ideas about what's going to happen. Let's see. And let's respond day by day to what's actually happening, not just our ideas about what's going to happen. Uh, okay. I, I, I can so, understand that message about you know, projecting all these right. horrible things in the future and obsessing about those projections. Right. Okay, so how, as time unfolds and let's say these horrible things start happening in the present moment, right. and you're dealing with all these gut-wrenching emotions, right. how well, do you deal with how, how do you deal with something falling right now in the present? That's right. So if something really bad happens, then we you may have to get out and do something that you're not used to doing. Yeah. You may have to respond, and we 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 whoever whoever feels that way, you know, this is a very Eugene way to say it, but shit happens. And sometimes we're gonna have to respond to shit happening, if it happens. And, and that means not just respond in the ways we're used to responding, depending on what happens. Because bad things happen in the world, and we don't wanna let bad things happen. Well, we don't want to let them happen without responding to them in some way, shape, or form. Okay, uh, I guess the challenge is trying yeah, to find no, those ways. Yeah, no, that's a really good word. It is challenging because, yeah. again, depending on who we are, what culture we're in, what community we've been in, you know, life can be very um, comfortable. But life's not comfortable for everybody in this world. And for a lot of people in America, life is not comfortable. And so they're having been dealing with things for, if you're an African-American, you've been dealing with it not being comfortable from day one in this country. You know, or if you're Native American, right, you've been dealing with it since, you know, the, the pilgrims landed or whoever it was at first who first came and conquered this world, their world. And so, you know, so what's happening, you know, is we all want to respond skillfully to what's true. 
I, I won't take up too much more time, but just um, this is a huge issue for me. Um, uh, another motion I'm, shug I'm struggling with is hatred. Uh -huh. and, yeah. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the Buddhist way where, where you do action, but you don't do it out of hatred. Right. Um, and I can't get beyond the hatred. Right. So don't get beyond it yet. Start to sit with the hatred until you see what are the causes and conditions of hatred and then see what's, what happens when you're not bound to the hatred. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Jim. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Clint. Please. Hi, I'm Jerry. Hi, Terry. Jerry. Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Um, I uh, have this very bad habit of watching way too much TV when bad things happen. Yeah, watch out for yeah. that. That is not a good habit. Exactly. It's just, you know, you need to, it's like you need to watch it and make sure nothing more bad happens. <laughs> yeah, but, but wait, you're saying something really important here, so I want to comment on it. Because we have so much media now, and we're so attached to media, and, and it's not skillful at times. And you watch what happens if you, let, if you keep letting all the media in, because all the media is, is a little, some fact, and then a lot of people's opinions. And so you're getting a lot of other people's minds and beliefs and, and, and you know, hopefully some illumination, but also a lot of delusion. And so to let that in without monitoring it is very unskillful for your well-being. So, okay, the go. practice, what I've learned from you and others was to turn it and after a few days, I did. Uh -huh, good. And uh, I sat the sap for a, a few days and trying to deal with my rage and my anger and my fears. And uh, finally took a shower. And in the shower, poof, it, I kind of came to a realization. So it was what you were talking about of willfully trying to change it. And then it's when you stop right. that it kind of... Uh, gel for me. And the realization that I wanted to share was that the first thing that bothered me was, the, uh, one of the big things that bothered me was the attack on Muslim women. Mm -hmm. Then the attacks, the physical attacks, and the girls that were asking for help to walk to school and things like that. And um, I had just come back from Iran and seen beautiful women with beautiful scarves on and realized, well, why don't we just start a fashion trend of picking up your scarf? And everybody be um, I I fashionably scarved, and then the attackers would know how to attack, who to attack. And it's you know sort of a silly idea. And then I started talking about it to people, right. and it really took on a life of its own. And trying to make a trend of this, people are buying into it. So I am finding, how do you say this, to share that the fact that I'm working to do something uh -huh, positive right. has actually overrided a lot of, I'm, I'm still uh -huh. scared and I'm still angry. And I said, yeah, but yeah. I don't have a lot of time for that. Right. Good, I'm, good. I'm working yeah, on that's something great. positive. No, that, so that, I I that's great. <laughs> so what happened, I'm going to contextualize. So as you said, in the shower, something relaxed 
and you had, and then your vision, your your creativity came forward, and then there's a way to respond that makes sense to you to to part of the dukkha that you're really upset about in terms of the uh, Muslim women being attacked, and great, and so let's not underestimate what can happen for any of us or all of us to respond to the dukkha of our own lives and to the po political life because both of those dukkhas have been happening forever, right? They're part of human life, personally and politically. So great, thank you, Jerry. It was a great uh, speech, uh, talk today. Thank you. Great. Not putting it in the Sure. Um, wait, I want to. I, I found the piece about creativity, so I want to respond to what Patricia was saying. This is from Alan Watts, and I can't remember what he wrote this in, but he says, but he's talking about meditation. Um, he says, we could say that meditation doesn't have a reason or a purpose. In this respect, it's, it's um, like, music, like the arts, music and dancing. When we make music, we don't do it in order to reach a certain point, such as the end of the composition. If that were the purpose of music, then obviously the fastest players would be the best. Also, when we are dancing, we are not aiming to arrive at a particular place on the floor as in taking a journey. When we dance, the journey itself is the point. As when we play music, the playing itself is the point. And exactly the same thing is true in meditation. Meditation is the discovery that the point of life is always arrived at in the immediate moment. Anyhow, I just, yeah, I think, because I think that's such a good understanding of how to start understanding our whole life as practice is when we give ourselves to something like we do with music or the arts, but it could be gardening or cooking or studying or working, however we're working, that we can start to bring in all of the dharma, meaning especially the, the kind of effort that's really skillful, and then the awareness and the unification with the experience that then brings the flowering into the, the depth of understanding that's possible for us. And that's also, I mean, it's really what Dogen's saying here, realization, neither general nor specific, is effort without desire. Clear water all the way to the bottom, a fish swims like a fish. The fish is not trying to swim like a fish. This fish swims like a fish. Vast sky transparent throughout, a bird flies like a bird. So we need to stop. So I'm happy to stop with Dogen. Let's sit for a minute. Appreciating our good fortune, the good fortune that we all have to be here today, tonight, to be here together, 
and to study the Dharma, to study human life, to study what's possible, and to see what's needed, what kind of energy effort is needed to wake up, to wake up individually and to wake up together, to wake up personally and to wake up politically so that we can live a life together, a life of kindness, a life of wisdom. And wishing that all beings have the good fortune to study the Dharma, to discover who and what we are, they are, and to be free from suffering, free from the confusion that is part of the difficulty personally and politically. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from confusion, free from misunderstanding. May all beings awaken. May all beings be free. good to be with you. Uh, I'll see you again next week. Please take good care. And if you can spend a few minutes and help clean up, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.